are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Peacock, with you again on this Tuesday episode of the show. My guest today is Mr. Chris Biederman. He is editor, lead writer, head honcho, big daddy over at, I don't know what his official title is, at Niners Wire. He and his crew pumping out all kinds of content over there at NinersWire.com. That is definitely a must bookmark for 49ers fans. We will be getting into uh, all kinds of topics about the 49ers, the tight end position, uh, the pass rush, how the linebackers are going to look with and without Reuben Foster, and if the 49ers did enough this offseason to really take that big leap into year two under Kyle Shanahan. A quick reminder to follow me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Email the show LockedOn49ers at gmail.com. We will continue to take mailbag questions and uh, ideas for topics and uh, all kinds of other things if you want to send those my way via Twitter or email. You can also find our Facebook page and Instagram. And of course, subscribe, rate, review the show, iTunes, we're on Spotify, the Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, everywhere you can find fine podcasts. You can find Locked On 49ers. So with that, let's get to today's guest. My guest today is Chris Biederman. You know him from his work covering the 49ers beat for Niners Wire. I just saw, I think on Twitter, Chris, that it was your five-year anniversary, possibly, from uh, covering the 49ers beat. So congrats on that, and uh, welcome to the show once again. Thanks. This is this is going to be my sixth season. It's it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, you're like the old guard. So now you, you uh, give noogies to the, the new kids that show up on the 49ers beat? Yeah. I mean, people ask me for advice, and I'm not really sure why <laughs> they ever would. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've... They're always the mainstays, but every year or two, there's there's someone new new to the beat. And um, one thing I don't I don't know if people know, but all all the writers uh, covering the team have a really good relationship, and and that's pretty unique. I've I've been around other teams where some beat writers don't necessarily get along super well, and obviously you know there's a there's a competitive aspect to everything um, when when you're you know all trying to avoid writing the same thing, and you're you're trying to get a scoop on somebody, but I, I think what makes the Niners beat unique is, is everyone has a pretty good relationship. So um, what, what people don't get to see, you know, in the media room is uh, there's, there's a lot of jokes being made. There's, you know, Eric Branch uh, going off on a tangent about a movie and, and Mayoko making jokes and Barrows, you know, always comes in with the one liners. So um, we have a good time in there and, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. Everybody except Barrows. He's a real jerk, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barrows is uh, no. He's he's definitely one of the one of the nicest guys um, I've worked with, and um, and he also is a is makes some pretty good guacamole. And what? is a um, been to his house before, and he's a surprisingly good interior decorator. If you're into sort of the 1990s um, like mom motif, that's that's sort of that's sort of what Barrows' apartment reminds me of. Wow. Okay. So hopefully he's listening. <laughs> I know Matt Barrows listens, friends of the show, uh, one of the greatest guys too, so I always enjoy talking to Matt Barrows, definitely just giving him a hard time there. Uh, I did know about the guacamole thing, so I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking for the invite to the next Matt Barrows house party. Yeah, absolutely. He's a he's a very gracious host, and um, you just got to make sure you, you take your shoes off before you go in, and 
and you wash your hands frequently and uh and everything will be good he'll he'll stay in line so chris how's your off season i believe i saw that you went to hawaii is that correct yeah yeah i went to hawaii it was nice um we i most of my family's from the east coast um in upstate new york so a bunch of them got to come out um my dad has a house out there so we all got to stay and and sort of do the family reunion thing. It was nice. I haven't had a vacation like that really since I've been on the beat. I went 10 days without really writing anything, which is which was really just weird. It's uh, That was definitely the longest writing break I've taken um, since I started doing this, covering covering the 49ers. So it, it was it was nice get get to you know go on a bunch of different hikes and go to beaches and play a bunch of golf. So uh, it's been good. It's been a good relaxing offseason so far, but I'm, I'm definitely ready to get back into this. Yeah, it's awesome. It's always nice to recharge. I, I wasn't necessarily recharging, but taking a few weeks off of uh, doing on-air stuff for a while while I was uh, you know, dealing with the birth of my child, which has been awesome. But then I, I got back to it and I was like, I, I kind of forgot how to do this. How do I even, what do I do? Just hit play and go, I guess. <laughs> and so, But uh, it, it all comes back very quick. By the way, how's your golf game? Uh, it's good. It's good. I'm improving. I, I've made significant strides with my driver, which, which was the weak point in my game. Um, and also... On the green, I'm, I'm, I've gotten significantly better this offseason. So, um, you know who's actually surprisingly good at golf uh, and who never plays golf is, is Matt Mayoko. Uh, we, we played – Cam Inman put together a, a 4th of July tournament, and I was paired with, with Mr. Mayoko. And uh, he was like he, – he told me he hadn't played in four years, and he didn't even get on the range or anything. And then he comes out, and I think he shot like a 95, which is – you know, pretty remarkable for someone who doesn't play. And, uh, you know, he just grabs the clubs and rips it, doesn't really take any practice swings, just one of those guys who's, who's just a natural-born athlete. He's so, uh, so he's he's got it. He's got the, the slice, the power fade, but he knows his game and he, and he plays to it pretty well. So it was uh, it was fun to play with him, and, and um, he's pretty good, surprisingly. You know, I'm similar when it comes to golf. The more I practice, the worse I get. So if I just go out there cold and hit, it's not really, I'm not any uh, worse than I would have been if I was hitting the range all kinds. Yeah, if I don't hit the range, like if, if I go a few months without playing and I don't hit the range, I'm just a disaster for nine holes. So <laughs> I got I to gotta be out there for like 45 minutes just figuring out how to strike the ball and and, uh, and get back into it. All right, let's t- talk a little bit about uh, the 2018 49ers here uh, as camp approaches. You had an article about the five reasons the 49ers could make the playoffs on uh, NinersWire.com. And I was kind of surprised by a lot of times, you know, when you see an article before training camp happens, when you're close to the team, you follow the team closely, you kind of can guess what's inside of an article. But the new attitude is something I didn't expect to be the number one uh, reason you had here for the 49ers making the playoffs. Can you explain uh, what you, wh- how you feel about the team's attitude and, and what's going on maybe upstairs being just as important and what's going on athletically on the field for the 49ers this year? Well, I, I think one of the biggest things I've learned since covering the team is, is locker room morale and culture is, is really important. Um, I, I think that the most obvious example is 2014 when the Niners probably had uh, their most loaded roster under Jim Harbaugh but they ended up going eight and eight and they were so dysfunctional behind the scenes in the locker room and the front office and all that, that they just couldn't put it together. And, um, you know, ultimately in the NFL, the, the level of talent between teams isn't all that different. And it's, and it's the team that's playing the best that, that generally wins games, not necessarily the most talented team. Now, obviously 
you know, the teams that end up winning the Super Bowl kind of marry both of those, right? Like the Eagles have probably top to bottom the most loaded roster in the NFL, but they're also all on the same page. They're also, you know, all rowing in the same direction. And, and that's the sense I really get from this team now, particularly, you know, from the rookie class last year, um, the group of free agents they've brought in over the last two years. These are all guys who who are really buying into the team concept and, and the Niners are really reluctant um, about, you know, adding any players that, that might not be, you know, team oriented or, or put the team ahead of their own individual accomplishments. So, you know, you talk to everybody um, and, and just the camaraderie in the locker room is really good. Um, there are a lot of, you know, close friends, um, relationships forming in the locker room and, and Jimmy Garoppolo is a, is a part of that too. And he's, in, you know, been ingratiated pretty seamlessly into the locker room. And, uh, and, and so I would say from that standpoint, everybody pulling for each other and everybody, you know, hanging out off the field and, and being competitive in practice and, and, and guys really cheering each other on and videos and hear things about conditioning program. And they're all, you know, tying different games into, into different exercises for conditioning and, and everybody's into it and everybody's smiling and, and there's just a real sense of togetherness with the team. And I think, you know, with it, with a sport that's so predicated on, on execution and timing and chemistry, um, that type of, that type of camaraderie is really important. And, uh, and, and, you know, you, you talk to different guys and they're saying, you know, this is the most fun I've had playing football or being in the NFL and, in years. And, you know, Joe Staley is obviously a guy who said that a bunch and talked about Kyle Shanahan, um, sort of being the ringleader and all that, obviously, and John Lynch doing it uh, from, from the GM spot. So I just think, you know, the, the Niners might not be the most talented team, you know, obviously in the NFC West because you've got the Rams down there at, and they're super loaded. But um, you look at just the feeling you get from talking to the guys and, and being around the locker room, there's a lot of really good chemistry right now. And, you know, maybe that changes if they lose some games. But, um, but I think that's why, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about their chances to, to contend for a playoff spot this year. So with that, you got a new attitude coming into 2018 and, uh, you know, the confidence with the team and smaller incremental improvements on the roster, offensive line in the secondary, uh, full year, minus two games from Reuben Foster and just a bunch of young players developing. This roster was pretty much gutted before last year. And of course, dropping that big element, which is the quarterback onto the team for a full season and in year two of Kyle Shanahan's 49ers, uh, do you think those smaller incremental improvements will add up to one huge leap for the 49ers who were 0-9 at one point going into last year and and to come out out of the gate firing and and competing with teams like the Vikings in week one? Yeah, I mean, I think so. The the defense was was pretty good. you know, the, over the last five games, even when, when Jimmy Garoppolo was, was really carrying the load and, and sort of the, the star of the team at that point, um, I would expect the defense to be better. I'm so curious about the pass rush. And I'm a little bit curious about, you know, the health overall and, and the depth. They, they remade their cornerback group, um, but I'm not entirely sure, you know, how much we can bank on Richard Sherman being the elite player that he was uh, before he suffered his Achilles tear. But um you know, you you look at those games. I, I think it was weeks two through six last year. They were the first team in NFL history to to lose five straight games by three points or fewer. And you know, you can go back through all those games. A play here, a play there. You know, Brian Hoyer making a crucial pass on third down or in the red zone uh, would have been the difference in in coming away with a win or, or you know 
losing those games in, in heartbreaking fashion. So, you know, I look at it like you have a quarterback who, you know, is capable um, of potentially being a, a Pro Bowl-type player, the, the type of quarterback who, you know, you could know that your offense is going to be competitive year in and year out with him, um, and, and solving that is a huge thing. Uh, defensively, I'm really curious to see, you know, how things shake out. I, I think the linebacking core is going to be really good, um, even though Reuben Foster is going to be out those two games. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about Fred Warner. I think he could, uh, he could end up displacing Malcolm Smith as soon as, you know, the start of the season. Um, well, maybe not with Foster suspended, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Mal- uh, to see Fred Warner start games in 2018. I think Akella Witherspoon is going to be good. Um, the biggest question I really have in the secondary, I guess, aside from health too, and this is sort of related to health, I guess, is Jimmy Ward and, and what his role is going to be. Um, I know the 49ers have cap space and they're, they're going into it or they're saying they're okay paying Jimmy Ward eight and a half million dollars, making him, you know, the defense's highest paid player. Um, but he's not going to start as of right now. And, and I'm really curious to see how, how his status evolves throughout training camp. Is he going to be, you know, are they going to stick him in the slot and give him an opportunity to, to beat out K1 Williams? Um, you know, is he going to, is he going to, you know, he doesn't look like any of the other cornerbacks on the roster. They've loaded up on those, you know, six, two guys with 33 inch arms and Jimmy Ward is not that. And, and they're playing him at corner, but he, but he just sort of looks out of place and, and it doesn't seem like he's going to beat out Adrian Colbert for the free safety spot. Although maybe he does, um, but it's just really going to be interesting to see because it's going to take a lot of discipline from them, you know, from a financial standpoint to say, all right, we have Jimmy Ward and we're going to pay him, you know, top flight money, eight and a half million dollars to be our most expensive defensive player. But he's going to play, you know, maybe when we go to a three safety look, which is what, 10%, 20% of, of snaps, depending on the matchup. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think just given Given everything, I mean, the, the not, with, even with, with the Reuben Foster thing, the Niners have been rolling sevens for a long time. Um, you know, they, they haven't really had that much adversity yet. Um, I know losing all those games early last season could be seen as adversity, but it's not like they were expected to win a bunch of games and they were coming up short of expectations. They were sort of approaching the year. I don't want to say they were tanking, but they didn't have a quarterback and there were a bunch of quarterbacks in this draft and they knew – you know, they would be in a good spot to, to have a good draft pick to maybe get one of these quarterbacks. So um, I wouldn't call last year necessarily adversity, uh, that that nine-game losing streak. I think, it, it would you know, the benefit was out there for them to lose those games. Um, so we'll see. You know, they're going to have a tough start to the season. And, you know, with, with um, Minnesota and then the Chargers and Kansas City, um, you know, they have – they have those three tough games in their first four, um, not including that home opener against the Lions week two, I think. But, um, you know, we'll see. Are they going to be able to bounce back from adversity if they start one and three? Um, I think the the schedule shapes up for them similarly like it did last year when it got more favorable down the stretch with a bunch of home games. Um, So maybe they start out, you know, one and three and then then go on a run to, to end the season and finish, you know, nine and seven or 10 and six and, and they're in that playoff hunt. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see their depth is going to be challenged. They have to stay healthy. Um, but otherwise, I think all signs are pointing to, like you said, a pretty significant improvement over last year, mainly because they have their quarterback situation figured out. 
And I do think the additions of, of Jarek McKinnon and, and Weston Richburg are, are going to be positive too. So looking at that linebacker squad you talked about, obviously Ruben Foster is going to be out for the first two weeks. So uh, if you had to guess here as we were about a week away from the beginning of training camp, who's going to be penciled in to start in those two weeks that Ruben's out? And when Ruben's back, is there going to be a big shuffle? Or is Malcolm Smith sort of going to start in the middle with the rookie Fred Warner at weak side linebacker? And then Foster comes back. Is he going to take over the weak side spot? Is he going to be in the middle long term? Is it Foster in the middle, uh, Warner? On the weak side, or uh, we heard Kyle Shanahan talk about how he likes the way uh, Warner communicates to the team. So maybe he's got the headset and he's playing middle linebacker. Foster, like he did last year, playing weak side linebacker. Uh, Malcolm Smith can play both. How are these guys lining up? What's it actually going to look like with uh, that that linebacking group? Well, Malcolm Smith has been calling the signals throughout the offseason program as as the Mike linebacker. Um, and, and the 49ers took... They made Reuben Foster the, the will linebacker last year um, about midway through the season to, to let Brock Coyle call the signals because Coyle's kind of the, the coach on the field type guy. He's not uber talented or uber athletic or anything, but, but he's, he's the kind of guy who looks like he's going to be a, a coach in waiting at some point as soon as his career is over. He's that type of guy. He's, um, he, he's been injured and, and hasn't participated in full team drills because he had shoulder surgery after the end of last year. Um, but he – you know, he's a guy that, that is calling the signals from the sideline like a coach would. So, I, irrespective of that, I, I would think Malcolm Smith is going to be the Mike linebacker. Reuben Foster, when he's reinstated, will be the Will linebacker. Fred Warner has been working as a second-team Mike, and that's really interesting to me because he definitely didn't call the signals and wasn't the Mike linebacker at BYU. He was playing sort of a an outside hybrid Sam linebacker slash, you know, covering the slot, kind of a weird, funky defense they had at BYU. Um, but he's super athletic and he's really smart. And it says a lot that the coaching staff trusts him enough to, to call the signals uh, so early in the offseason program as a rookie. And that, to me, would indicate that they really like him. And, and you know, they, they talk about those positions like they're interchangeable. But I think it's clear with, with certain guys they want – they want. They feel comfortable with some guys calling the signals and other guys not. I don't know that they um, that they love Ruben Foster calling all the signals. I think they sort of want him to just to just play and and not necessarily worry about where everyone's aligning. And maybe Foster, you know, turns into that guy um, maybe next year or the year after that. But uh, I, I think it's going to be Malcolm Smith, and and I would guess it's going to be Fred Warner at weak side. Um, and then when Foster comes back, it will be Malcolm Smith and Mike and Foster at, at weak side. And then Warner could potentially take over Smith's job if, if Smith isn't as good as, as the Niners think he's going to be. Um, you know, Robert Sully loved Malcolm Smith in training camp last year and, and was you know, more or less devastated after he suffered that pec injury that cost, that cost him the entire season, um, which is somewhat surprising. I mean, obviously coaches are always going to be optimistic about their guys. But, you know, Malcolm Smith wasn't very good with the Raiders, and the Raiders had a lot of trouble in the middle of their defense, and they didn't bring Malcolm Smith back. Um, so, obviously, that was a pretty telltale sign about where Malcolm Smith was in his career. Uh, so, it was interesting to see the 49ers make such a big gamble and give him all that money. I think it was $26 million or something like that over four seasons. Um, but this is essentially a contract year for Malcolm Smith. So, um, the guaranteed money in his contract runs out after the season, so it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him be a cap casualty next spring. But, um, yeah, regardless of that, I, w- I would say Malcolm Smith at the mic, um, 
Fred Warner at the will to start, and then Reuben Foster would be the will when he comes back, and then Fred Warner might have a chance to, to get a starting spot at some point later in the year. You mentioned that contract situation with Malcolm Smith. Does Reuben Foster getting suspended for the first two games sort of save maybe Malcolm Smith or even Brock Coyle's job for being a veteran that's sort of a surprise cut during training camp because they're going to need those bodies now, and then when he comes back, do you think anybody's job might be in jeopardy? Because uh, like you mentioned with Smith and Warner potentially playing middle linebacker, that's where Brock Coyle also plays. I don't know if the team needs to carry that many middle linebackers. They also have free agent Corey Toomer there as well. So they actually have quite a few numbers when Foster is back. Do you see any surprise cuts at that position? I think the guy who would be on the outside looking in um, is Corey Toomer. I think his, his deal is, is worth something like 600K. Um, so the, they made their... their you know, a minimal financial commitment to him. And they brought him in, you know, after Ruben Foster's charges uh, or after his arrest, you know, was apparent. They were unsure about what his future was going to be like. So I, I think they like Coyle enough, even if he's not starting, to be a core special teamer like he was in Seattle and, and like he was last year. He's a guy they really value, um, you know, in the meeting rooms. Like I said, he's he's sort of a uh, a coach by extension in, in the meeting rooms and, and on the sidelines. So, um, his value lies in that and, and his ability to play special teams. So I'd be surprised if they let him go. Um, they also like his toughness. He, he played through that shoulder injury throughout all last year. Um, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I know, you know, it was, it was at least a few weeks. He, he played with a, a torn labor, I believe it was, um, and toughed it out and, and played pretty well. So um, I would, I would expect the, I mean, I think in my projection before Foster's suspension, I had five inside linebackers with Corey Timmer being the last one. Um, but with, you know, if they need a roster spot elsewhere, it won't surprise me at all uh, if Tumor if Tumor was on the wrong side of the roster bubble. Um, I just don't think, I think they like Coyle too much, um, just given all that intangible stuff I mentioned. My guest today is Chris Biederman. You can find his work at NinersWire.com. You are listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. If you'd like to advertise with us or reach thousands of loyal 49ers and NFL fans, local and national sponsorships are available. Email LockedOn49ers at gmail.com. Chris, one more question about the defense, and then uh, I've got a little bit about the offense that I want to talk to you about if you have the time. Uh, the pass rush, it's been a huge thing throughout the offseason. I believe we talked pre-draft, and that was we were both positive that an outside edge rusher was the position the 49ers were going to target in the draft, and they didn't really do that. They've kind of loaded <laughs> up on these big ends and sort of outside-inside players and interior rushers. Did they do enough outside? Do you think it's a Taoshu and a Cassius Marsh? Is that enough? Uh, of a, of an edge rush. I mean, what eight sacks combined between those two guys? Did they even upgrade from who they had last year in Elvis Doomerville, uh, moving from him to Jeremiah Tauschu in 2018? Well, they brought in uh, Chris Kiffin, the the son of of Monty Kiffin, to be a pass rushing specialist, um, you know, coach on the staff. And so I think what they're doing is they're looking to improve the pass rush as a unit sort of schematically. They're going to, they're going to work on more um, two man games and stunts and, and different ways to, to creatively uh, get after the quarterback through scheming, uh, which could certainly help uh, it, particularly if you don't have a super talented guy on the edge. What, what I will say is they're banking on improvement from guys. I mean, they, they like Cassius Marsh. 
um, they're, they're thinking he's going to improve and, and take step, steps forward next year. Obviously, you know, they view Jeremiah Tauchu as somebody maybe with, with untapped, untapped potential. You know, he's a second-round pick. He had double-digit sacks in his last two years at Georgia Tech. He had six sacks a few years ago for the Chargers um, before they got, you know, Joey Bosa and before he fell out of favor with Anthony Lynn. Um, so I – I look at it. I mean, that's obviously the biggest question heading into the season because they the, the pass rush was the Achilles heel last year, and and if you can't bother the quarterback, you're not going to get turnovers, and you're not going to be particularly good on third down. And and that was obviously, you know, those were the two key issues for the defense last season. Although it did improve later in the year, but um, you know, I think that the, they're banking on DeForest Buckner evolving into a Pro Bowl or an All Pro candidate, and. And maybe eventually, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate, someone like Calais Campbell. Um, you know, Eric Armstead hasn't been healthy. Uh, you know, they're 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 making a big bet on him being productive by by picking up that fifth year option. And you know, it's it's they can still get out of that. That that money isn't guaranteed until until next March. So if he doesn't have a good season, um, but they still want to keep him around, they might be able to sign him to a to a multi year deal before fully guaranteeing that that nine and a half million dollar salary next season um you know they're they're looking at solomon thomas and and hoping he makes pretty dramatic strides in his second season i think you know he he didn't join the team until training camp so he didn't have the off-season program to adjust to his new role in a new defense you know he's a defensive tackle and in a three four at sanford and the 49ers got him and asked him to play on the edge a lot and that wasn't really the spot for him. And I think they figured that out, you know, maybe a little bit too late. Not that it really mattered because, you know, they weren't, they weren't in the playoff hunt or anything, but, um, you know, going forward, I think they're going to have a more defined role for Solomon Thomas. Uh, they switched him and Eric Armstead. So Armstead's going to be the big end this year, um, which will probably be better for him too. And then Thomas is going to be in that rotation on the inside with Armstead and DeForest Buckner and, Ronald Blair and Sheldon Day and all those guys. So I think they're banking on, um, you know, all those guys improving by playing together as a team. And, and you know, there, there's there's so much that goes into it, um, but just beyond individual skill sets. It's it's timing, it's stunts, it's chemistry. It's, um, you know, there, there are a bunch of different ways to, to approach a pass rush rather than just having four guys and say, all right, beat the man in front of you. Um, I think they're going to be more creative and you're going to see a lot more scheming up um, of pass rushes and maybe some more blitzes um, to creatively get after the quarterback. And, and we'll see if it works. Uh, they do have a, a pretty talented group of interior guys with all those first round picks they've invested um, on the inside. But like you said, I, I still think they're, they're an edge rusher away. I'm not sure Jeremiah Tauchi is going to solve anything. I'm, I'm not sure Cassius Mars. Um, if he's your, you know, your first or second best edge pass rusher, that's going to be good enough. Um, so we'll see. I mean, uh, I wrote about it today, but Ezekiel Ansa and Demarcus Lawrence didn't get long-term deals before the deadline uh, this afternoon. Um, so they might be back in the free agent market next year, and the Niners are going to have, you know, they could have somewhere around $75 million in cap space. So maybe they make the addition they need to in free agency, or maybe they finally draft the pass rusher on the outside that, that they've needed for a few years, for a few years now.
Yeah, and Ronald Blair, I think, is the sleeper, one of the better pass rushers actually on the roster, although he's kind of buried now, and, and I don't know how he's going to fit into that rotation, but I do like Ronald Blair as a rotational guy, and actually a lot of those guys, and it's not to really crush Atalshu and Cassius Marsh that they're not good players, but you prefer to have them as the rotational guys that are moving in and have that one stud rusher to go with them, um, aside from having just those guys as the ones you're counting on to to bring the heat from the edge on third downs. Um, Chris, one more thing I want to ask you about. I was doing the tight end uh, overview before camp on yesterday's program, and uh, I wanted to ask you, because you've been there at practice and you've seen how they've worked, and I was wondering if the rotation looks different in this camp than it did last year with George Kittle and Garrett Selleck. Last year, Selleck uh, was credited with 13 starts to Kittle's seven starts, so obviously there's some crossover there. There were some games where they were both on the field on the first play at the same time. Um, how have they lined up in spring practices? Are they lining up at two separate positions where Selleck is sort of the old-school inline guy and Kittle is the move tight end and moving around, or did it look more like a tight end one, tight end two situation? Well, they, they don't really look at it in those terms. Um, you know, they, Kyle Shanahan explained it at, at one point last year, sort of how he views all those different guys. He has positions in the offense that anybody can play. So there could be, you know, the, I think the Y receiver is in the slot, right? And you could have Trent Taylor there, or you could have a running back there, or you could have one of the tight ends there, um, or you can have Kyle Juszczyk there. They, these are positions that aren't defined necessarily by positions as we look at them, like tight end, fullback, running back, receiver, these are, you know, who's lining up in the Y, who's lining up in the X and the Z and, and those things. And I don't even know if, if that's the, the correct vernacular. But um, so you see all these guys line up everywhere. I, I would say generally um, Garrett Selleck is, is more of the inline blocking guy and, and Kittle is the guy moving around a lot um, before the snap and, and, you know, sometimes lining up in line, sometimes lining up in the backfield. Uh, going out to the slot, and, and I think they're going to feature Kittle more in the passing game, more as a as a diverse weapon, and and Selleck is going to be the guy that that's doing more blocking. I think that's generally how they're going to be used, just based on their skill sets. And and um, you know I, I've hinted at it a few different times, writing about George Kittle this off season. I think he's, you know, I think. He's only one of nine rookie tight ends to ever uh, to ever have 500 yards in their first season, and you know you, you just look at what he dealt with last year. He was he wasn't healthy all season, and it started in training camp. I think he had a hamstring injury or a groin injury, um, and he missed time. He missed preseason games. Uh, he's a guy who dealt with injuries throughout the throughout the year, and he only missed one game because his ankle. Was, was really screwed up at one point late in the year, and then he had to sit. Um, I forget which game it was, but he wasn't healthy. So if he is healthy and uh, with the second season, a full off season, uh, playing with Jimmy Garoppolo, he got 15 of 19 targets from Garoppolo last season in four games. Um, I, I think Kittle could be a really good player this year, and maybe a sleeper, you know, in, in your fan in your fantasy team, just because. Um, you know, they didn't. The Niners didn't really add a a red zone target. And I think they're banking on Kittle and and you know Pierre Garcon and and those guys being more uh, more viable threats in in the red zone. So I'm optimistic about Kittle. But yeah, I think you know Kittle's the guy who moves around more. He he has the more diverse skill set. He's he's obviously faster. Um, but you know Kyle Shanahan can devise ways to to get Garrett Selleck open too, and and that happened a lot last year. 
um, particularly in the red zone. He, he led the team with four touchdown catches. Um, so I, I would imagine they're both going to play a lot. It, it's, it's well known how much Kyle Shanahan loves his 13 personnel and, and play action and things like that to get the tight ends involved. So, um, yeah, that's how I see it. I think Selleck's generally going to be more of a blocking guy and Kittle's going to be moving around a lot, but I would expect Kittle to, to have a pretty good season in, in year two. So what you're saying is we're still going to have some Selleck time in 2018. Yes, I do think there's still going to be some Selleck time. Um, you know, I, I, coming from New England, Jimmy Garoppolo obviously used, is used to featuring his tight ends a lot in, in the, you know, particularly in the red zone and, and, you know, third down and things like that. So I would imagine he's, he's going to use those guys a lot next year, too. That is Chris Biederman. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Biederman. You can find all of his fine work at NinersWire.com. Chris, I could talk to you all day. Always a pleasure, but uh, we got to cut it off. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot for having me, as always. Yeah, thanks again, and uh, hopefully talk to you soon here throughout the season. Yeah, sounds good. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On 49ers. Get those mailbag questions in. Going to be talking with Nick Winkler for another Week Eat Wednesday tomorrow. Hit me up on Twitter at BDPeacock or email the show LockedOn49ers at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you then right here on Locked On 49ers.